Hey everybody, this is Jonathan from pureandsimplebible.com. So thankful to have you back with us for the weekly podcast episode. And this week, I'm very excited to have joining me in the studio, Brother Noah Martin from the Green Oaks Church of Christ in Arlington, Texas. Noah is a young teacher in the church. He desires to be an elder someday, and he works as a second grade school teacher. So my heart goes out to him. I used to teach school as well, and I'm thankful for his willingness to both shape the future of our children in the community as well as help shape the heart of the church by wanting to be an effective teacher and someday an elder. Noah has brought a Bible study called The High Calling of Holiness. So we're going to jump into this Bible study, but I think what you're going to find, uh, if you're expecting it to be this two-parter specifically about holiness, is a very interesting study where we don't talk about holiness a lot in the first episode. So get ready for that, but it's all going to come together. You're going to have to come back next week for the second part to get it. But once we go through this first study and the second part of it, we're going to have a great understanding of God's high calling of holiness. Let's jump in, shall we? Cool. Welcome to the show. Glad you're here with me today. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, we're going to talk about the high calling of holiness in Leviticus chapter 20 and in 1 Peter chapter 1. You, you begin your study with the connection of these two with the concept of holiness. So mm -hmm. I was curious if maybe you'd like to explain that connection. Yeah, so uh, Leviticus, if you've ever studied through that book, it's so much about holiness and about right. um, the law and all these different things that the children of Israel had to follow in order to have a good uh, covenant relationship with God. And one of the driving points of Leviticus is in Leviticus 20, verses 22 through 26, and he says in verse 26, And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. And so when we see New Testament writers bringing in Old Testament uh, scripture, mm -hmm. that kind of causes us to pause and say, right. what's the importance of right. this? And so Peter, in First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Right. Okay. So uh, I'll just share this. I used to joke about how with the book of Leviticus, that was the one I'd turn to and I couldn't go to sleep at night. Right. <laughs> so Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy. But like you have obviously done because you've put the study together, I have gone through it and realized, oh, this is more than just a bunch of these and vows. There's actually a purpose behind it. And holiness is that purpose. Absolutely. I like how you connect it to First Peter and then kind of for uh, the greater part of your study, it's like an expository of First Peter chapter mm -hmm. 1, right? So instead of maybe looking at it topically, uh, we're going to kind of break this scripture down a little bit. I, I did notice in the notes that there's never like just a explanation of the term. So maybe in your own words, based on what you've studied from this, what is holiness? Well, I think holiness is the higher calling of a Christian. It is um, to be like God. Mm -hmm. you know, holiness is the essence of God's character. He is without sin. He's without darkness, without evil. And so for us to be holy, that means that we are called to remain pure, okay. to be a sanctified and separated people from sin and from the evil that goes on around us. I like that. that there's this, two, this dual nature to it. You said we're set apart 
right? Like we're we're different. Yeah. But we're, there's also like a sacredness to it. So it's, it's more than just like the I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, but I have to be filling myself with something, which is the godliness you mentioned. Right. Is that right? Right. Okay. Well, um, so if I as a member of the body of Christ, if I'm looking forward to the reward of salvation, um, so this task of holiness is, it could be abstract. Maybe somebody out there is thinking about the idea how to be holy, and maybe they're coming away with it with that kind of the the more common vernacular that we have of being holier than thou, mm-hmm. right? So I'm wanting to avoid the I'm better than everyone, I'm holier than thou, I want to be holy. I guess I'm I'm curious in your study, just the way you organize it. Um, you kind of start out with this big section, not about what holiness is, but rather what the opposite is. Why don't you start with, with that? Explain what, what is the opposite of holiness so that we can know what to avoid. Well, the opposite of holiness is sin. It is darkness, and it is that which is not what God is at all. Right. Um, we learn in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, that one, God cannot be tempted by evil, and two, that God does not tempt anyone, mm-hmm. but rather that temptation begins in our minds. Right. And so that kind of shows that uh, the sin that we have is, it has a lot to do with the mortality of who we are and those fleshly lusts that we uh, deal with from day to day. And so temptation begins in the mind, we're lured and enticed, and then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And mm-hmm. sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Let me pause you right there and maybe go back. I don't know how many people who are listening to this might ask the question, but in case someone was. You know, we're talking about holiness, it's what God wants, and then the opposite, what is sin and darkness, etc. And what if somebody said, does God just not want me to have any fun? You know, yeah. what, what would you say to somebody that's that thinks you're maybe just trying to be the, the morality police? Sure. Well, and I think that's that perspective and the mindset you have to look at, especially reading through Leviticus uh-huh. and then through the New Testament. You know, you can come away with that, with the idea that it's an arbitrary list of do's and don'ts and that God is just a rule maker without right. feeling. Right. Uh, but that's not God. Mm. And if we think of the Bible's teachings like that, I hope that uh, you'll have an open mind as you're listening to this conversation mm-hmm. because Christianity viewed through that lens uh, becomes a difficult and a joyless race. That's a good point. In fact, I mean, I feel like that's what Pharisees ultimately ended up doing. They were following a list of do's and don'ts, but they they had no, I don't know, spark or joy to the service. So it turned into just legality. Right. It was and, it was devoid of the love and the character of God. Right. And so they were willing to strain out gnats, but swallow camels, mm-hmm. so to speak, as Jesus would say. Yeah. Um, you've described sin, but you mentioned earlier that you know sin even though it's dark and it's uh, the opposite of god it's also fleeting and so you know maybe you could comment on that just help me encourage me encourage others about how sin can be fleeting because i feel like sometimes it's the only thing i want to do or it's the only thing that i feel like is available yeah so how why is sin fleeting well sin is fleeting because of the temporary nature of what it is. The pleasures that we feel Mm -hmm. in sin are temporary. And any sin you can name 
you can see where that uh, feeling ends right. of, wow, that was really fun. I want to do that again because you have to keep coming back to it in order to continue getting all that feeling. You know, after you sin, you feel guilt, mm-hmm. you feel regret, mm-hmm. remorse, right. and you want to uh, try and fix those things if you are a Christian and your mindset is that I want to be like God. Right. I think a, a couple things um, about that. First, you know, there's the law of diminishing return. Uh, I, I used to not know what that meant. It yeah. took me a while to figure it out. But uh, just that concept that what makes me feel good today, I'm going to need a little bit more to uh-huh. feel that same way tomorrow. And in that way, sin is it's like a, an addiction, like a drug addiction. You know, when somebody does get addicted to drugs or alcohol or something, a lot of times uh, it requires a little bit more and a little bit more to get to that same level of satisfaction. Right. What a ugly, awful analogy, but really a, an honest assessment of what sin can do. Is it gives you that fleeting pleasure, but typically it doesn't last as long as you'd want it to, so you got to do more to feel that way. Yeah. And then the other thought I had, oh, well, it's gone. Bummer. Yeah, it was gonna be. It was gonna. This I was gonna win like a whatever <laughs> trophy a podcaster wins. <laughs> yeah, sin's bad. God is good. That, that's that was. <laughs> we'll see if any of that makes the cut. Um, let's let's continue on. We could kind of go down this path all day. Yeah. Uh, you said that sin. Uh, you quoted from James chapter one. Mm-hmm. Um, how sin when. Desires conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is full grown, it, it brings death. And and so the the point is that that God doesn't make sin, right. right? Sin comes from somewhere else. So maybe clarify for me where does sin come from? Well, we can look uh, in First John chapter three verse four. It says, "Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and mm-hmm. sin is lawlessness." So that tells us that sin is without law. Okay, which means it rejects what God has said to do, and then in turn it it causes us to choose to satisfy self and we indulge in, in our desires of the flesh. Um, so then later in first John chapter three in verse 10, he says in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. I love that phrase of practicing righteousness. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. It's, it's an active thing. Uh-huh. It's we're known by our fruit and the things that we do. And so that tells us that holiness is an expectation of us mm. in the way that we live our life. It's not only a mindset, but it's a lifestyle. Right. So that that being separate or set apart and then also being sacred or, you know, special to God mm-hmm. is going to be manifest not just in how I think, but how I live. Is that yeah. is that a fair way of That's that's what I'm getting at. There. Okay, good. Well, um you mentioned that it's important for us to understand sin and where it comes from as we uh, talk about holiness, how it's this complete opposition to God. Maybe you could explain your reasoning for this. You know, instead of beginning with holiness, we're, we're going to continue down this path of talking about sin for a little bit. Why are, why are we doing that? Well, because the way that we see sin, our perception of it is so important and it impacts our understanding of holiness in ways that a lot of times I don't think we think about. You know, if we're seeking godliness and we want to be like God in every way possible, Mm -hmm. we want to view sin the way that God does, to say the same thing about sin. And in the society that we live in, 
how dark things have gotten and right. how much sin has uh, started to invade places that used to be sanctified, like right. like the home, even right. through pop culture and entertainment and mm-hmm. so many different ways the mm-hmm. devil's trying to get in. Um, we start to become desensitized to it. We have a sanitized view of sin. And so a lot of times we get into this rut of people saying, well, I can handle that. Right. It doesn't affect me. That sin isn't, I'm not partial to that. It's not going to bother me. Why don't we stop there just because I feel like I've heard that a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, people saying, well, that, you know, I can get away with it because it doesn't bother me. How How would you encourage a Christian who is using that excuse for engaging in a sinful behavior? I've had this conversation with some friends recently and it's okay. it's it's been a difficult one to get through you know you kind of have to stop and reflect on your self motive right for it you don't want to be holier than thou right and i don't want to come across <laughs> that way to anyone but i would always ask them well why do you choose that mm. you know if if it's the music you're listening to or the movies you're interested in or mm-hmm. the activities the places mm-hmm. you want to be that have sin in them why are you choosing those things because a lot of times when you come down to that motive, it's just because I want to. Right. It's selfish. It's indulgence in what I want. But then I think about God and the time that he gives us. God's time is a gift. And we already waste so much of that time on activities that are wholesome. Right. But then to stop and to put all that entertainment that we want into activities that are unwholesome, that mm-hmm. have sin in them. Mm-hmm. What are we doing with the time that God has given to us? Those things are either... Uh, helping or hindering our relationship with right. God. There's really no in-between there. We think we're unaffected, but in the long run, what actually happens is it changes the way we think about sin, and no longer is it a, a big deal to us. It, it seems like our faith is one that has to be constant forward motion. You're either walking, crawling, running, leaping towards right. God, or else you are falling you know, backwards, tumbling. There's not like stasis mode where you get to stay. Uh-huh. I heard this one time. Maybe it fits. We'll see. But, you know, I want to avoid sin, but, you know, unless I'm going to be a monk on a... Even if I was a monk on a mountain, right? Like, sin's still going to be there if I have any sort of thoughts or actions that are against God's will if I transgress his law. And so I heard someone say one time that um, instead of trying to be... to avoid contact with other people, we have to learn that isolation isn't the answer, but insulation is. And so, for example, it's why we insulate our homes. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, we live in Euless, right? It's the fall right now in the majority of the United States, but in Euless, Texas, it's Texas still summertime. <laughs> it's like 96 degrees yeah. today. So I don't want the Euless heat in my house. Uh-huh. Thus, I insulate it. So I'm in Euless, but I'm not of Euless, right? We're in the world. That's the connection. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Right. So I'm not going to isolate myself from the lost. I'm not like, how, do, how does somebody go to work? How do they go to school? Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm going to insulate from what they want me to do that's wrong, just what the devil's throwing at me. So I don't know. Maybe that's a way whenever somebody says, oh, I can handle it. Well, are you opening yourself to it? Because if you are, you need to close off and insulate yourself from the sin that's coming in. Right. We've really got to think about how am I mm-hmm. uh, handling it. Well, tell me about Lot. Uh, you, you bring up this point of Lot as a righteous person, and I know the Bible says it, but 
typically I think of Lot as the guy who really messed up. So yeah. maybe you could bring up some <laughs> a different perspective for me. Well, we know he lived in, in Sodom and Gomorrah for a time, right? which most people call that Sin City. Right, the we, Vegas of right. the Middle East. We equate that with <laughs> Vegas. But in thinking about this, I've wondered how different was Sodom and Gomorrah from any other city that we have here now right. in the world with sin being so pervasive around us. It's tough to hear. Yeah. And it, it but true. <laughs> it is, you know, second Peter two and seven tells us about lot and how he felt. It says that lot was greatly distressed mm-hmm. by the sensual conduct of the wicked and his righteous soul was tormented mm. over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And when I read that, it makes me wonder, am I really tormented today? by the evil that I see around me, by the evil that I allow into my heart? Am I uh, greatly distressed when I see sin enter into my own life Mm -hmm. or when I see it enter into my brother or my sister? Or do I just let it sit there and be like, it's it's their thing? I think I know where you're going because, you know, I've been asking you a couple times, why are we talking about sin when we're in a Bible study about holiness? But it seems like we're drawing near to the heart of God and how he views sin. Yeah. And so when... I view it his way, I'm distressed. When I view it my way, I can become ambivalent about it, right? Mm -hmm. So you're calling for a wake-up, right? A wake-up call for the church. Absolutely. What what, what do you mean by that? Well, if if we were to stop and really reflect on our perspective of sin and to view it as Lot did, um, think about what would change for the church today. Mm -hmm. Well, the earnestness with which we spread the gospel to others. Right. Seeing them out there being tormented and not having the truth, mm-hmm. that would ravage our souls and make mm-hmm. us, that would stir us to go out and do those things so much more. I think about um, the lack of church discipline in so many places. Right. And we've got sin in the camp and people yeah. are just not willing to, to deal with it. But if we were to see it the way that Lot did, we would want so much to get that out through love mm. and through the truth. Well, I I agree with that assessment, just that there's got to be kind of a wake-up call. I, I need to see it God's way. Mm-hmm. And we're going to press on with this sin taking away from God's holiness. You, you talk about three identifying factors of what sin can do. So we're not, we're not even on holiness yet, but I, I like, I like the, 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 the progression. I like the ingredients <laughs> in the pot. That you're stirring, We're right? cooking. <laughs> We're cooking towards holiness. And I want to know about these. Uh, take me down a little bit further, this path on uh, these factors of sin. So the scriptures identify three things that sin does. And the first one is that sin fights against us. Okay. A little later after Peter talks about holiness, he says in 1 Peter 2 and 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Mm. And so that makes me think of, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, as mentioned in First John 2. Right. I think about the battle that's raging all around us. You know, we've got Ephesians 6 talks about the armor that we're mm-hmm. to put on to mm-hmm. defend against the battle, which is spiritual and something that our eyes can't even really see here. Right. But it's affecting us. First Peter 5 and verse 8 says to be sober and vigilant because the devil, our adversary, is walking about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. There's so many scriptures in the New Testament yeah. that say or declare that sin is serious. It's not just a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about Galatians chapter 5. Um, I think about Romans chapter 7. You know, he has this struggle 
the things that I want to do, I'm not doing that, which I don't want to do. I find myself doing right. So there's this war going on in my heart between the spirit and the flesh. Sin's no joke, right? It's, it's absolutely not. It's a, it's a war. And if we lose the fight, we're going to die spiritually. Mm. We're going to end up in a place that nobody wants to be. Right. And this has happened since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve, Garden right. of Eden, because of sin, brought death into the world. And then right. each generation kind of repeats that cycle, mm-hmm. right, by our own free will. Tell me about Romans 6. Um, Romans 6 is just a great chapter to look at as far as being slaves to sin and thinking of the new life we're to have in Christ, being made alive in Christ. Mm-hmm. Romans 6, 23 uh, says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And right before that, he says that uh, in becoming free from sin and being slaves to God, you now have your fruit to right. holiness. Right. So those things are unlocked for us uh, through the blood of Christ. Mm. Well, in addition to sin being uh, this object that fights against us, you know, that it's uh, something that we're going to be struggling with, the flesh and the spirit, You're, you bring God into the equation by saying that sin insults God and it insults his glory. Why don't you help me understand that? Yeah, this is, I think, one of the most touching elements of this. You know, we, we can talk all day about how it affects us and how eh, it's not a big deal for me, but right. you think about the way God views sin. When we mm-hmm. choose to reject God's holiness, we're mm-hmm. sliding him. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31 has a lot to say about this. It says, uh, For if we sin willfully after we've received a knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment mm. and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. And then later in verse 29, he says, Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. The Scriptures clearly don't sugarcoat sin at all, right? which we can see from this. They never shy away from telling it like it is, even though sometimes we tend to sugarcoat our own sins. Rejecting God's law, as the Hebrew writer says here, is to stomp on Christ. Let me ask you this question. What about different kinds of sins, though? You know, is it really that bad? You know, like if I told a white lie, yeah. you know, versus somebody who was just a mass murderer. Uh-huh. Let's take it from maybe a humanistic point of view. Uh, surely God's not going to judge my lie the way that he might judge a murderer. What What would you say to that? Well, I'd say that sin is sin. And, you know, no matter how we try to reason through that, even the little white lie is a big stain on right. our robes to God. And he sees that and he has to be separate from that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how big or how small it is. And we know that God is a just judge and he's merciful. And mm-hmm. ultimately all of those things will come down to what he wants to happen for us. Right. But if we're striving for the highest standard, which is to be like him in every way we can on this earth, even the little white lies got to go. Well said. Well said, because some people, you know, from our emotional point of view, we think, oh, of course it's not that bad. Yeah. But here's one thing I'm grateful for, that I'm not the judge. Mm-hmm. Right? So I know, kind of like you just said, I'll quote from Genesis 18.25, uh, God rhetorically asks, will the Lord of heaven not judge right? The answer is yes, he will. And so I can be thankful that he's the judge and not me. But that doesn't mean I have the right to 
break his laws right. in his name. Well, I can do this because I'm, you know, I already know I'm on the inside. Rather, I should be striving for that, that higher way. I love it. Um, tell me about the prophets. They seem to be going along with what you're saying. Yeah, the language of the prophets, you know, they are writing during a time when Israel is rebelling. Um, and there's all these things that have gone on, you know, the captivity and the exile and um, just a, a tragic time for the people of God, mm-hmm. not choosing God the way they should. Well, specifically Hosea, Jeremiah and Ezekiel write of um, Israel's sin of rebellion in very right. graphic language. God took it personally. Right. And it exposes that sin for what it really is. And this is the way that we must learn to see it, too, right. because that's how God views it. He even would use just figures examples that we could relate to. Uh, I think Ezekiel chapter 16 may be the strongest in, in my opinion, one of the strongest in the the Old Testament prophets where God equates Israel to a woman and he is the husband and she is prostituting herself to other men. Right. And, you know, most of us who have a living heart, beating heart, can feel for that, whether we're married or not. There is a sense of betrayal that we can understand. So sure. for those who are listening, whether they're single or married, when we read Ezekiel 16, and I encourage you to do so, man, it's hard to get through because God lays it all out there about how betrayed he feels. And so so we talked about how sin uh, insults God and his glory. The first point was that sin, it's like a battle. It's fighting against us. There's one more in this little section that we're talking about sin. Uh Help me finish it off. That third point is that sin is ultimately opposed to our calling. Right. So this kind of goes back to what we just talked about with the little white lie versus the, you know, somebody committing a capital offense. You you made the point that's it goes against our calling. So we shouldn't even be trying to do the little sins if we're going to be living to God's way. So maybe I jumped again with that question earlier. But <laughs> I'll give you opportunity now to flesh it out. Sure. Um, Romans 3 and 23, when we sin, we fall short of the very glory of God. Okay. Any sin. And, you know, while, yes, you can look at that as I broke a rule, uh, the essence of it is that you've broken a law that is derived from God's very character and being, and that is his glory. Well, like I said before, you're going to have to come back next week if you want to catch the second part of this. We've talked a whole lot about sin and how awful sin is in God's eyes and how awful it should be in our eyes as well. But the good news is next week, whenever we wrap up this first session on talking about sin, we move into the second part of it, the how and the why of holiness, how we can be holy in God's presence and in his eyes and how and, and why we should be holy in God's presence and through his point of view. But you got to come back next week. And until then, you can go to the website and check out all of the resources that are available to download and use absolutely free. And until then, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much. I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. <laughs> Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me.